tuning in. My name is John Ray. I'm one of the elders here at Grace Church. And I got to tell you, never again will I take a wedding invitation for granted. The Ray family right now is T minus seven days and counting to the uh, first marriage of one of our daughters in this. And uh, of all the details that have caused me the most stress personally, it's been making the guest list. I mean, we have sweated, argued, prayed, and combed through address books, friends list, contact sheets. And just as soon as we think we're done, we remember one more person. And it's agonizing. It's agonizing. See, left to my own devices, I would invite all of the state of Arkansas, California, Texas, and surrounding countries to the wedding. I mean, that's just me. I, I would do it. I would, I would invite everybody. The problem is that this couple back here, their choice number one was to elope. Like, they, they want small and intimate with that. And then you throw in my wife and, and her opinions with that, and you put all those opinions, and then you have to apply the budget to the whole thing. And it's just overwhelming. It's agonizing. What I naively thought would be a straightforward process has caused a serious lack of sleep. Who gets invited? Who doesn't? How do we do this? How do we pay for it? How, how does all this work? I, I just never realized it before until I had to do it. And if this process of making decisions on a something as relatively simple as a wedding is tough, can you imagine what the first believers in the church went through? As they went after three years of following Jesus with basically, he decided, he made, he chose, he called, he gathered them. And there was an intimate group that was formed by, by a lot of sacrifice to be in there. And then all of a sudden, Peter preaches this sermon after the Lord is ascended and 3,000 people are added to the church in one day. And then those people turn around and they go start inviting their friends and they start inviting their families and they start moving and they start inviting other people in other towns and all of a sudden people from different languages and different backgrounds are, are all saying, hey, we want to come to the party. What do you do? How are you going to pay for all this? How are you going to, how are you going to organize this? How are you going to make this work? I mean, that choice compared to this little choice that we're having to make now is, is monumental with that. How did they do it? Well, we get an idea from our text today. We're going we're gonna to look at who got into the church. How did they decide who got in? And what does that mean for us today? So pray with me, as you will, if you would, as we dig into the text. Jesus, you've invited us here this morning once again to study your word, once again to submit ourselves to each other, to the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts to understand, to love, to respond, to obey. And we would know not only our calling, but the calling you extend to your creation. That we would participate in it, not fight against it. 
And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our text is coming from Acts 15 this week. As I read, I'll stop and make some comments, and then we'll, we'll sum this up as we get towards the end. It says, Now some, bro- some men came down from Judea and began to teach the brothers. And they taught them this, Unless you are circumcised, according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. Now we saw a foreshadowing of this back in Acts 6-7. It said then, the word of God continued to spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly, and a large group of priests came obedient to the faith. And as you read that, I've always read it as kind of a list. Okay, so some people came here, and some priests over here became followers of Jesus, and these people became followers of Jesus. Never again will I read that text that way. It's almost like it needs music with it. It's like, and then a number of priests became followers. Dun, 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 dun. It's like this foreshadowing of something that's going to happen. Because who were the Pharisees? Who were the priests? All along in our story, we've, we've read all through the New Testament, right? Those are the, those are the people that Jesus is in, in direct tension with. Those are the people who, are, who are, he's fighting against. And now, they're, they're becoming followers of the way, and we just kind of pass over that thinking, oh... Well, they just gave up all that stuff. <laughs> they just quit being concerned with the law. They just quit being concerned with moralism and, and religious and nationalistic purity and everything. They just quit all that and became Christians. Not at all. And as we're going to see in the next couple of weeks when Norma Farthing teaches us through the book of Galatians, this tension that started from the inclusion of this group into the church, was the first thing that threatened to tear the church apart. You see, because these, these men who came in, and I believe they were, they were saved, they were supposed to be there, but they brought with them all of their biases, all of their, their worldview, all of their understanding about what church or being righteous was supposed to look like. And they soon acted upon that. Because, as it says, to them, the natural assumption was, well, Jesus was a Jew. The followers were all from Jewish heritage. Therefore, you first have to become a Jew before you can become a follower of Jesus. And it's, and it's interesting to me here also, as we look at this, up until this point, we've talked all about the elders and the apostles. And I wonder, who appointed these men? to go and say this. Like there's no indication that they were sent by anyone to do this. It's kind of like they just, they were just like, well, this is what you do. They just took it upon themselves to go and to do this. You see, they, they just assumed because they had been leaders, they had been priests, they had been Pharisees in the previous system, that they would just have that same kind of position in the new community. They just came in with that kind of that air of leadership, right? That air of understanding of, hey, we've, we've done this before. We've been here before. We'll just conform this new group to the image of the old. And that was to come in direct conflict with what the Spirit was doing. So let's continue reading. Then Paul and Barnabas had a major argument and debate with them. The church appointed Paul and Barnabas and some others 
from among them to go up to meet with the apostles and elders in Jerusalem about the disagreement. So they, went, they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they were relating at length the, converse, the conversion of the Gentiles and bringing great joy to all the brothers. When they arrived in Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. But some of the religious party of the Pharisees who had believed stood up and said, it is necessary to circumcise the Gentiles in order for them to, in order them to observe the law of Moses. They're not giving on this point. They're arguing it. And again, cue the music. Here is this intense tension that is building. And it was interesting to me, too. Um, if you're ever in church circles very long, you'll often hear somebody say, hey, we just want to be a New Testament church. You know, what kind of church you go to? Oh, we're, we're a New Testament church. You know, we, we go back to being in the New Testament church as if the New Testament church was this unspoiled, peace-filled, perfect in all its ways that it came out. Friends, that ain't the truth. This thing came out kicking, screaming, fighting, spitting, wrestling. I mean, from the very first, it had legalist in it. It had moralist in it. It had people wanting to conform it to its own image. It had people bringing their own agenda into the church and trying to conform the church to its own agenda with that. And that's what we see here. It says both the apostles and the elders met together to deliberate about this. And after there had been much debate, now mark this, much debate. Again, we like to think of the church as organic, that if it's, if it's right, it's just organic. It just kind of happens. That if the, church is gonna, if, if the church is really filled with the Spirit, if the church is really doing the things the way it ought to be, it's going to be easy. It's not going to take a lot of time. It's going to be there to kind of serve us with that. Look at this. There was much debate. Lots of talk. Meetings. More nights after work, away from home. More Saturday morning spent huddled in the church building instead of cutting the grass or at the lake skiing. From the very start, unity took sacrificial work, sacrificial effort. It took, it took more because of the tension that was there, not less. Well, after much arguing, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that some time ago God chose me to preach to the Gentiles so they would hear the message and the gospel of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, has testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between them and us, cleansing their hearts by faith. Now, hold on again here. You got to understand this. When Peter says they that God made no distinction between us and the Gentiles. He is counteracting thousands of years of, of their identity, of the people's identity. Israel's whole identity was wrapped up in being a distinct people, of being different from the Gentiles, different from the, the heathen. And Peter stands up and he goes, God has... 
made no distinction between us and them. I mean, this is, this is counterintuitive, counter the narrative of, of how the people thought of themselves to the very core with that. If I can, on a, on a smaller notion, it's, it's kind of like the child who is raised the whole time being told you're special, you're special, you're special, you're special, and then they kind of come up that as an adult and they look around and they go, yeah, I may be unique, but really I'm not all that special. You know, we find out we're just part of humanity. And yeah, we, there are unique things about us and we're made special by the people that love us, but at another level, we're just all human with that. He goes on, Peter says, so now why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we are saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus in the same way as they are. I love the way Eugene Peterson translates this in the message. He says, so then Peter took the floor. And he said, friends, you know well that from early on, God made it quite plain that he wanted the pagans to hear the message of this good news and embrace it. And not in any secondhand or roundabout way, but firsthand, straight from my mouth. And God, who can't be fooled by any pretense on our part, but always knows a person's thoughts, gave them the Holy Spirit exactly as he gave it to us. He treated the outsiders exactly as he treated the insiders, beginning at the very center of who they were and working from that center outward, cleaning up their lives as they trusted and believed in, and believed in them. So why are you now trying to out-God God? Loading these new believers down with rules that crushed our ancestors and crushed us too. Don't we believe that we are saved because the Master Jesus amazingly and out of sheer generosity moved to save us, just as he did from those beyond our nation? So what are you arguing about? And it says there was dead silence. No one said a word. Putting God to the test. Trying to out-God God. Boy, if that's not an apt description of the way we so often do church. You know, we love it when God pulls our fat out of the fire. We love it when He calms the storm that we purposely rode into. We love it when God, we beg God and we ask Him to come clean up our mess that we've made. Man, we're all about, yeah, God, you be God. I'm going to let God be God. He's going to save me from my mess, from my turmoil, from my disease, from my tension. But as soon as things kind of smooth out, our first response is, hey, I'll, I'll take it from here now. Thanks, God. Thanks, God. I, I, I got it now. And as soon as things came, some kind of relative calmness, we start ranking and ordering separating, we, get, we got to have these people over here, you know, and, and, and we got to move these, you know, because we got we to make things orderly here. We start making hierarchies, classes, 
divisions, groups, subgroups, insiders, outsiders, upsides, downsides. Don't we? I mean, I do. You know, who's closer? The, I, you, think of the, you think of the disciples, hey, Jesus, can we sit at your right hand, your left hand? Hey, Jesus, what about them? You know, we're, I know we're good, but, you know, shouldn't we cast a little fire and brimstone on those guys over there? It's just what we do. text goes on, it says, the whole group kept quiet and listened to Barnabas and Paul as they explained all the miraculous signs and wonders God had done among the Gentiles. It's like they, they weren't even, they didn't even see what God was doing. They were so concerned with making the rules. They didn't even see what God was doing. It had to be explained, these signs and wonders. After they stopped speaking, James replied, Brothers, listen to me. Simeon has explained, Simon has explained how God first concerned himself to select from among the Gentiles a people for his name. And the words of the prophets agree with this as it is written. Once they, and, and this is under, important for us understanding how they made the decision. They stopped, they listened, they, gave, they bore witness to what the Holy Spirit was doing. Then they went back to the scripture and they understood scripture in a new way. Because he says, the words of the prophet agree with this. As it is written, after this I will return, I will, re- I will rebuild the fallen tent of David. I will rebuild its ruins and restore it. So that all the rest of humanity may seek the Lord, namely all the Gentiles. I have called to be my own, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. You know, again, it's hard for us to imagine what a, serious, what a serious matter this was to the first followers of Jesus. As they had to decide who, who would call themselves Christian, who would be called by, them name, by that name. Look, they only knew God through a Jewish context at this time. Their imagination was steeped with Torah. It was steeped with being Hebrew. And they followed a Jewish, albeit an an unorthodox one, Messiah. Jesus came from this Jewish context. So for them to have the imagination to open up, to open their doors, to invite into the church these heathen, the people that the very people that they had defined themselves against. If if they were the Republicans, those were the Democrats. If they were the conservatives, those were the liberals. If they were the the you know the, the morally pure, these were the pagans. And they were gonna invite them into their house. They were gonna break bread with them. They were going to Say, it's not by your political party or your moral purity or your beliefs, but, but by the grace of the Lord Jesus, you're going to be part of us. It, it's, it's stunning to see how that would be. But somehow, 
somehow they were able to see through the eyes of God. Their decision to include the Gentiles, and make no mistake, that's us, okay? We're here because of this decision. You want to know why we're meeting today? It's because of this decision in Acts 15. We, we rarely teach this. We rarely give this scripture the honor that it needs. But we're not here having first become Jews and then become Christians because of what was decided at this point in time in this place. Their decision to include us without first becoming Jews was literally cosmos changing. It's the reason why we exist. But here's the thing. It, it wasn't just a once and for all kind of deal. Yeah, they decided, okay, the church can be open. You don't have to become a Jew. But we've still, we're still wrestling with this question. We still today wrestle with this question. Who who can be part of the church? What do you have to do to become a Christian? What do you have to do to be part of the church? And what do you have to do to become part of this church? And as I said at the beginning, all of us, we don't, we don't have to look out and say, well, which one of us in here is the Pharisee? Which one in here is the priest? Because I can point to him right here. There is an almost intractable part of me that is a Pharisee that wants to make some kind of moral test, some kind of religious test for people. Now, I'm not talking about the confession of faith. I'm not talking about... I'm talking in the context of people where, where God is working in their life. But even in that, there's still part of me that wants people to have to, some kind of bar they have to raise up to, some kind of hoop they've got to jump through with that. And we're debating that now. We are debating that now in our culture, in our churches. Who, who gets in? And if we're debating that, then we have to understand, well, then how are we making those decisions? Are we making them according to the way that the New Testament did? Are we, are we making it according to the way that's been prescribed for us in a way in Scripture through stories like this? Or are we making them by other standing standards? Are we making them by standards more in line with our political beliefs, our cultural values, or what the world says we're supposed to make those decisions by. Listen, it takes a lot to see this. These, prejudice, these prejudices run deep in us. As individuals, as a culture, as peoples. And it's only when we, with clear determination to set what we practice against what we are shown in Scripture in light of the Holy Spirit, 
that those prejudices start to really reveal themselves for what they are. And it takes work. It takes humility. It takes more meetings. It takes more study. It's not easy. But we have to do it. And this process that we see revealed in this text and indeed throughout Scripture of understanding the world as God designed it. Then understanding the world as it is. Understanding how Scripture describes that. And then submitting ourselves to the Holy Spirit as a community, not just as individuals. Listen, that is, that is something that takes practice. And that's one of the reasons why that's what we talk about here at Grace Church, is that we are practicing church. Church hasn't just been dropped on us in some pure form and we get an owner's manual and just follow the steps. It's a living gift given to us in each one of us with that. And if we are to do it well, do it to the glory of God, do it in a way that brings life and light, peace and holiness, righteousness and sanctification. It's going to take effort to do it with that. I'll change the analogy a little bit here. I did it on the fly. Um, a few years back, I sat in Judge Setzer at the Times courtroom as she oversaw the naturalization process of a number of new American citizens. Ah, they'd been born in Bangladesh and Brazil. They'd been born in Mexico and Guatemala. They'd been born in Iraq and different places. But on that day, in that courtroom, they were each given an American flag. They took an oath and they became Americans. And if you've never been to one of these processes, if you've never been to one of these ceremonies, there are a few things that make me prouder to be an American than when I sit in those courtrooms watching that process. I see people from every country, color, race, religion, pledging allegiance to the flag. And in some ways, I, I think that better represents the church than the church. And, and if that vow to a, to a nation which is temporary, listen, our, our, our nationalistic affiliation, that's, that's temporary, that's, that's for this life, that doesn't carry into eternity. But if that's that important, what about calling people into the church? What about this process of bringing people from every tribe, every culture, every nationality, every race, religion, under the name of Jesus and calling them into a church? Something that is going to last throughout eternity. Something that is going to be forever. How important should that be to us? Friends, we practice church at Grace Church. We don't have it all figured out. There's a lot we don't know, and the more we try, the more we learn we don't know with that. But we have to be about this. 
we have to be about constantly reaching out and constantly understanding what does it mean to be the church. Who is here? Who has God called us to include, to reach out, to bring in, to part of this process? That's what I want to be about, and that's what I hope we're about as Grace Church as we move forward. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Central to this idea of belonging central to this idea of being included is the table. This is not just a religious artifact. Uh, This is our supper table. I grew up in a house that had two tables. You had the supper table, and then you had the formal dining table. The formal dining table was for people who came in, but then left. The supper table was for people who lived in the house. This is our supper table, y'all. This is, this is a sign that you are part of the family. If you're seeking Jesus today, if that Holy Spirit is working in you, calling you, stirring things up in you, inviting you, come to this table. Come to this table. Be part of this family of God that is open to all people, regardless of race, regardless of culture. Come to this table. Jesus' body is represented here. The blood of the covenant of his sacrifice is represented here. It reminds us and restores us It gathers us and binds us together. You didn't earn anything here. It is by grace that you've been called this morning. By grace you've been called this morning to be here. Come take part in this table and receive that grace in the name of Jesus.